time to the book of Philippians chapter 4. I'll be reading Philippians 4 verses 14 through 18. And yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, God-breathed word to our hearts and our souls. Oh, Father, this morning, may we continue to worship you in the contemplation of this passage and inferences from it to the glory of your name in our lives, those whom you have chosen, because we did not choose you. We only rejected you, and then you came, and then we saw, and then we came unto you. You were good. Allow your word to live in our hearts and minds over this next 50 minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last week, quick summary. We saw that this passage has to do with our relationship with God in the context of money. We saw that giving is to be one expression of worship of God. Paul calls it here with worshiping sweet smelling incense in the offering. Acceptable, well pleasing to God. We saw last week that it's not that you raise your hands that makes it worship or sing the words or lie prostrate or give money. We saw that worship is an internal thing first. Those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Then it expresses itself as, as physical beings in this present world in all kinds of differing ways. That's worship. As we saw Jesus say last week, where your money is, there, you look at it, go back, you'll find where your heart is. Okay, that's last week. So this morning, 
What I want to do is focus on the biblical foundation for giving. Tithing. I'm not going to read every time it's used, all those times in the Old Testament. I'm going to go to one portion, one verse that says a whole lot. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Here, the law of Moses. Every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. Every tithe, that that, that Hebrew word there, ma'aser, it means Every tenth, 10%, one out of 10. It means if you have 10 beef cows, one of them belongs to the Lord. If someone has an income that month of $3,000 and they put $150 into the offering in the temple... They did not tithe. A tithe would have been $300. You can't tithe 2% or 4% or 8% any more than you can paint a wall white with red paint. It's just an oxymoron. Now, for the last 40 years, when I became a Christian... So I have personally been convinced that the starting point for giving into the gospel, the church, is the Old Testament principle of the tithe, the 10%. We, my wife, well, she's not here right now, she's on an airplane, we have... We, we, we are parents, Christian parents, to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. We, we, we therefore want to train them how to function in this world that God has made. So, like all of us parents, we had to constantly tell the children, say please. You don't just say, well, whatever they feel like. No, this is how you operate. It's, say thank you. So even when they're children and don't have jobs, we we would train them to practice it when grandma gives you a gift for your birthday. You got $20, two of it doesn't belong to you. Because we wanted to do them a favor by saying please and thank you and recognizing that God is God and he owns everything, even before they were baptized persons because it would do them good. Just as much as, as we raised them in a Christian home, we would train them about prayer, let them pray, read Bible to them, want them to have the discipline in their own lives of reading their own Bibles, going to church on Sunday, and it's not an option. This is what we do. We, we instill all those things. And 
Sonia and I wanted them to understand from the earliest age that they would just breathe, that they would never live on more than 90% of their money, of their income. Stay right there, verse 30, Leviticus 27. Notice the 10% belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you, the law of Moses tells them. It's not your money. It's God's. The 10% represents the 100% because God really is sovereign and He really owns everything. But this first fruits off the top for them represents God as the owner. I am only a steward. Everything belongs to Him. Notice secondly, the tithe is holy to the Lord. Yeah, holy, one, one of its core definitions of it, it mean, and here it clearly means this, it is set apart. Sanctified, holy, set apart to Yahweh. It means it's set apart, it's given to God, used for no other purpose. Okay. Now, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years go by, about a thousand years now after this, the Babylonian captivity has happened. Ezra and Nehemiah coming back to the land, rebuilding the temple, rediscovering the Bible, essentially, and holding to it. And then there's a prophet, Malachi. And this is what the Lord said through Malachi, a thousand years after this, in chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. But you say, well, how shall we return? And God answered, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? The Lord answered, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So the Lord tell, told Israel in 430 B.C., you're stealing from me. 
You're taking what is not yours. And you're doing whatever you want with it. And God had their attention. They said, what are you talking about? How are we stealing from you? And he answered in your tithes and offerings. In the mandatory giving and in the voluntary giving. And the solution in the text, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Don't hold any of it back. So, those who walked with the Lord, those who were obedient under Moses in Israel, they did not ask, okay, this week, Lord, can I just give 7% instead of the full 10? They knew the answer. In the Old Testament, there was for them, uh, some people even argue there were three tithes, but look, there was the tithe, that was just automatic off the top. And then there were the free will offerings. So I'm just going to give another cow, another goat. And... <clears throat> Those are separate, they're distinct. They show up here in Malachi, the tithes and the offerings, the, the, the contributions beyond that. The free will offering meant give, give, just as you wish now. How much you want to give? In other words, those who walked with the Lord and who were obedient to them, they didn't say, I feel led to die this month. They didn't do that. They may do that with a, I really, I, I see that need and you know what? We're going to go really extra and Lord really impressing me upon that in this free will offering. See, those who walked with the Lord, they didn't wake up every Friday morning. And now it's 11 a.m. and think, oh my gosh, the sun's going to go down in a few hours, you know, and I'm a Jew, so... Let me pray to the Lord to see if I should actually uh, honor the Sabbath this week. They didn't ask him. They didn't pray. Those who walked with the Lord in faith under his law, they did not say, God, I it's a big party this weekend, so do I have to, do I have to stay faithful to my spouse? This weekend, they didn't pray that way. Lord, Lord, should I not slander a person wrongly with my words or deceit? They didn't do that. They knew God's answer on that as they walked with him. He told them what to do. Okay. That is Old Testament Israel. Right. Now, there is a debate within the contemporary church world on whether tithing is still a minimum standard, a starting point for giving in the New Testament church. And, and, there is, and here it is. Here's the truth. Nowhere in the New Testament, and particularly in Paul's 13 letters, 
is it ever explicitly commanded to give 10%? Paul never used the term tithe. But Hebrews does, and Jesus does in the Gospels. And that's true. Here's the question. What should we infer from that? What conclusion should we draw? Okay, first I'm going to start with three conclusions we should not draw from that because they're just not biblical. They're not there. The first is this. We should not draw the conclusion that Jesus anywhere explicitly abolished the tithe. It's not there. He did abolish kosher diet, Mark lets us know. He did say this in Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you tithe mint and dill and cumin, anything in your garden even. He meant your whole livelihood and however you made your money. And then, oh, you've got a garden with some, with, with some mint. You make sure one-tenth goes to the Lord. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the tithes. Jesus here, what is he doing? He, he's warning religious hypocrites of using their tithing as a cover for their dirty hearts. Injustice, lovelessness, but he doesn't throw it out. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, the second reason, okay, Paul never directly commanded the tithe. It is not because he did not believe in proportionate giving. I mean, tithe by definition is a proportionate giving. So whether it's 2%, 50%, 10%. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 2, he writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Every Sunday, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as or according to as he may prosper. Depending on how much came in. Now, whatever that, I don't know, but he says, very understandable, this guy makes 10 times more Ten times less than that guy. You're both given according to the way you prosper. In other words, proportionate giving 
seems to be still a great standard for, for Paul, clearly, in the New Testament. If you prosper more, you give more. If you prosper less, you give less concretely. Now, and that's basically what the principle of tithing is. It's just a particular number. It's one-tenth. It's 10%. If you make $5,000, 500 is one-tenth. If you make 500, it's 50, right? Did I get the number? <laughs> if you make 10, what is it, Caleb? Good, thank goodness. All right, good. You might be okay at valor now. I don't know. Where the heck am I now? I didn't do that. Okay. All right. So, so the point is this. <laughs> Paul believed in proportionate giving. All right. So that cannot be the reason, therefore, that he did not explicitly say 10% anywhere. Okay. The third reason, this is not why Paul did not command in any way the tithe. It is not because the New Testament church age is in less need of money than the temple age. Paul writes in Galatians 6, verse 6, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul talks about, very clearly, the payment that preachers and teachers should receive. And then he says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it is treading out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. In Paul's letters, particularly in the pastorals and instruction for the pastors, and leaders of the church and the elders, he expects the church to take care of their widows and the poor, and that takes money. He expects churches beyond their church to support evangelism and, and missions. Actually, that is exactly the point of our text in Philippians, Paul is not like he was at times in Antioch, two years in Corinth, three years in Ephesus, functioning essentially not just as an apostle, but as an elder, as a pastor, as he is there. But here he is clearly a missionary, and they are sending support to him. When he writes the book of Romans, and he's never met the church, at Rome at that point. He wanted to get there. And at the end of the letter, in chapter 15, verse 24, he asked them to even now prepare, setting aside money to help me in my mission get to Spain. In 1 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? If we have sown, in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, 
do not we even more? So in other words, the gospel, the community, the teaching, the preaching, the caring, the, 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 the extension and the mission of the church all cost money, just like the temple serviced and the priesthood cost money. All right, here's the point so far. The reason that Paul never commanded the tithe, this is, okay, you can, it's okay to disagree with this, but this is what I think, okay? It, 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 it is not because Jesus abolished it. We don't have that anywhere clearly. He actually, at, at least at that moment before his death, affirmed it. And it's not because Paul didn't believe in proportional giving. He did and demonstrated it. And it's not because the New Testament ministry is in less need of money. Okay. Now, so here's a, this is, yeah, you're looking and you're reading between lines and things that Paul said. So, so why did he, why is it not, at least in the letters we have, ever explicitly commanded? I think, and I just, I think because of other things Paul says, there are, there are two strong reasons for that. Paul's teaching on it and why he didn't in anywhere directly command the 10% is because he really wanted to emphasize the willingness rather than mere disconnected from the heart Duty, constraint, it's what you do. You enter an organization and so do it. That's what I think his answer is, if you would ask it. Second Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says this. Each person must give as he has decided in his heart. And he, he explains right here what, he, what he, he... He wants joy flowing from that. Listen to the next words. In other words, as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under some kind of compulsion from the outside. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. That drove Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, he said this, I say this, and if you know Paul well, you know it's not the only time he does this kind of a thing. I say this not as a command, you know, in Philemon, Bob preached through that whole book, telling him, I mean, I have the power to command you, but I don't want to. As an apostle, and he says it a few times. And so he says, look, I say this not as a command. 
I think what he's saying, you know, when we're parenting children and they're small, at times we don't care if you like what I have to say. I don't care if you agree with what I have to say. I don't care if on the inside you're sitting down. If I told you to stand up on the outside, you're going to do what I do. Paul says, I don't want this to be like that. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others. Now, the whole context is, I'm sorry, I'll get there in a the whole context was he was telling them how much proportionate giving the Philippian church did. That's the context. And so you can either go, this is inspired by God or Paul is just manipulative. But that's what he did. I'm, he says, I'm going to appeal to the grace of God. See how it worked in their life? So I say this to you, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others. Hmm. The Corinthians, that your love it's also genuine. Do you care about your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem when it's going very badly economically for them? That's how he appealed to them. So, so I think, see, here Paul downplays the possibility of commanding a certain level of giving because he wants to emphasize loving, joyful, willingness rather than just mere duty. But secondly, and it's connected to that, I, I think it's, it's because Paul wanted to emphasize to Christians liberality and not a limitation. He didn't want them to feel that 10% is the ceiling and that's it. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 to 5, remember, back again, he uses the, the poverty-stricken Philippians, the Macedonians, that's mainly Philippi, we know. He uses them, poor people, as an example for the Corinthian church to follow as they decide Sunday by Sunday, what they're going to give towards this particular offering. He says, they, the poor Christians in Macedonia, they gave according to their means. There's that proportionate, what do you have? And then according, he's got to have some idea what that meant. They gave uh, in proportion. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Watch. They were begging us to give away more money. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. In other words, Paul wants to downplay commanding, give 50%, give 10%, give in order to not have limits on people's giving. 
to free it up. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul says, look, in all in the context of raising this offering, he says, the point is this. Whoever gives sparingly, whoever, and he uses the farmer analogy, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever gives bountifully, sows bountifully, will also reap bountifully. Last week, Jesus' words, store up treasures in heaven. Or what Paul says in our text and to the Philippians, I really seek the fruit of your giving that increases to your account or credit. So the issue of why, why didn't Paul ever command the 10%? The issue is he did not want to tithe to have the limit and say that's it necessarily for him. He kept pushing and beyond the bounds, beyond your means to unleash a maximum liberality. The biblical principle of the Old Testament tithe. Okay, here, here's my here's what I've been convincing different Christians. Okay, this is it. And people are going. I'm gonna I'm gonna end with a sentence here, and I'm gonna really mean it. Just as Paul, don't give reluctantly. Be convinced before you God about your giving and how it may change, how it may get greater, less. Be, be 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 convinced. But for 40 years, I have been convinced that. The Old Testament principle of the tithe, the vast majority of these non-born-again people, is the starting place for giving. Now, what I want to do is probably going to take about three minutes, because I'm going to read slowly a few paragraphs from Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And I mean, I just want to contemplate it. You don't have to agree with him. But, but, but contemplate what, what he's saying and if anything is helpful to you. Randy Alcorn writes, quote, Since writing the original edition of this book in 1989, I've heard Christians argue, often angrily, that tithing is legalism. They claim tithing is bondage, and we have been liberated by grace-giving. He goes on. The Israelites gave 10% before their free will offerings in contrast to the average 2.5% giving of American Christians. This statistic suggests that even using 10% as a measure, the Israelites were four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average American Christian is to the grace of Christ. I believe there's a timeless truth behind the concept of giving God the first fruits. 
Whether or not the tithe is still the minimum measure of those first fruits, I ask myself, does God expect His new covenant children to give less, the same, or more? I have found that to many people, the term grace-giving simply means give whatever you feel like. And obviously, most people just don't feel like giving. The assumption seems to be that God no longer expects His people to give substantially. I get mail from people who strenuously object to the suggestion that tithing is a legitimate starting place for Christians. I listen to any Christian who says tithing is not meant for us today, provided he gives regularly himself and that his giving exceeds the tithe. But I've learned that often there's a hidden agenda behind the protest. While appearing to take the theological high ground, they are effectively saying that God has lowered His standards of giving and that the power of New Testament grace is less than that of the law. Such a view is an insult to the saving and empowering work of Christ. With some exceptions, I have found that most who argue against tithing use their arguments to justify their own lack of generous giving. My response is to gently suggest to such people that their reasons may be less biblical and theological than personal. They simply don't want to give that much. End quote. All right, so as I'm coming to wrap this up, let me say a few things. The strongest argument, I think, against tithing, or I'll, I'll say it this way, against a kind of tithing, but the strongest argument against tithing is that this New Testament teaching and intention and difference between what we call law versus grace. What we call work or works of the law, the way Paul uses law negatively there, he uses works negatively here, grace is positive, okay, and faith, works versus faith. And I totally agree. That is, should be those terms and understanding on anything you do and any obedience you give to God daily should be, am I doing this as a work of the law or is it a work of faith? So I totally agree if you just bring in that Old Testament law of tithing, law of grace, works faith. But you see, that law grace works faith, that's true of all of God's commands. And Christians are under lots of commands from God. 
If you don't know that, you don't read your New Testament. Not in order to be saved, but now that we have found ourselves saved and walk with Him. As Paul says, love fulfills the law. And then he just recites four or five of the Ten Commandments. Or the Ten Commandments that God commands fulfills the law. So every command, don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Christian, you are under those. But here's the, here's the, here's the thing. You could, as a believer, not walk in sin in this by walking in faith in it. In other words, you can give faith-filled obedience to the principle of the tithe or not committing adultery. You can give faith-filled obedience which you're called to. It's what you want. God loves a cheerful, faith-filled heart. Or you can give legalistic slavery and drudgery to it, which God does not call any of us to as Christians. So it is a very important paradigm. Law versus grace, works versus faith. Absolutely agree. So let me say it this way then. If we, as, as individual Christians, decide to set aside tithing as a command because somehow it feels legalistic to us, and, and we want to promote, like Paul did, freedom in our giving, I say to that, good, excellent. And beware. That's Beware, as Paul said in, I think it's Galatians 5. Do not allow your freedom to become an opportunity for your flesh. In other words, beware, because there are two ways that are always dangerous for us to sin with our money. And one would be, beware of legalism, beware of a self-righteous Legalism where one loves to boast in their piety, in their tithing. Beware of a heart. On the other hand, beware of fleshly unbelief, fear, greed. We should always beware of justifying our worldly pleasures which show where our hearts really are. So I've argued this morning, look, that Paul never directly commanded tithing, is what I think. And he didn't, in order to emphasize the freedom to give, and not in any kind of non-heart-related, legalistic duty, and if that's true, therefore, the only safe way for a Christian to set aside the command to tithe is, is to do so in a way that would create in him or her a deeper freedom from the love of money. Then go for it. But if setting aside the command plays into your growing love of money, then that's a sin. 
to set it aside. But it's the love of money, not the legalism. Don't set aside tithing to serve your less giving, but only to serve greater giving. Paul did not command it. But that, that, is, that was not in order for him to condone the sinful bondage of the love of money, or you don't know Paul. But he did, I think, to break the limitation of the 10%, to free up liberality. You know, the argument that I've heard over 40 years of my Christianity from some is, look, we're under grace and not law. Now, when I hear that in 40 years, when it comes to sexual morality, I almost know what, almost, not always, but know what it probably means for them. Or we're under grace, not law, in how you're supposed to reach out and love and care for others. I almost, I just know, no, no, no commands. Jesus loved me. And when you hear it concerning the tithe, it, not always, but it often comes from people who live on 98 to 99% of their income. See, when I hear that, this is what it sounds like to me. So this is being personal. It sounds like this. We're under the new covenant, my dear brother. We didn't even talk about tithing. We're in the new covenant people. That means we have seen the love of God in the bloody cross of Christ who gave everything for us. And we have tasted and believed in the power of God that actually raised Jesus from the dead. And he has sent his spirit. And we're not just have the spirit around us. We are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit crying out, Abba. Father, we have heard Jesus say, fear not, little flock. Sell your possessions and give and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, that points to where your heart is. They're not done yet. And then, this is what it sounds like. Their conclusion is this. Therefore, because of that, Christians may feel utterly content to give less than the Old Testament saints, a majority of whom were not even born again. It just doesn't make sense to me. I've never understood the logic. It's, it's, it's sort of like saying, there's no commandment for Joe LeMay to kiss his wife every day. Therefore, in order to demonstrate and to show my freedom in Christ, and I'm not in bondage to that law that I'm saying doesn't exist, I'm only going to kiss her once a month. I'm free. It's like saying there's no command for Joe LeMay to watch Notre Dame football. And therefore, to demonstrate my freedom, when the game comes on, I'm outside the door doing yard work, and I will not watch it in order to prove to you free I am and someone might say that's not fair Joe because those two analogies they don't work because those two things are pleasant things to you and tithing is not pleasant okay 
Now we've got clarity. I have watched Notre Dame football for the last 51 straight years because it's my joy to do so. And I will testify on the basis of the last 40 years, about 12 of them is a single man and the rest is a married man, that tithing, God has proved himself faithful to his challenge in Malachi. Test me and see if I don't open up the doors windows of heaven. Tithing is like a good dessert. It's like Notre Dame football. It is like kissing Sonia. Or at least it should be according to Jesus. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so I do end it with this line. I beg of you, don't ever give reluctantly. Don't ever give under exterior compulsion, legalistic compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the freedoms in our lives and the brokenness of every one of us, the freedoms from sexual bondage, the freedoms to grow in love, the freedoms to at least have little tweaks to our disgusting personalities in one way or another, the freedom that we even will corporately here again be singing in from the heart, the words of the glorious gospel of our salvation and freedom from the bondage and the love of money and the joy of giving. We are always and everywhere desperate for your continual sanctifying work. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand.